Welcome to Slumpbusters. It's time for episode 122 of the Slump Buster podcast. On today's episode, Kyle and I give our Hall of Fame ballot. Yes, who should be going to the MLB Hall of Fame here in 2022? Stay tuned, folks. It's a very fun segment I think you'll enjoy. We also give our preview for NFL Week 12. Have a ton of games that are very important in the playoff picture. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their Nitro Cold Brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their Mammoth Blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their Hibiscus Teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our Publico Slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products cavemancoffeeco.com promo code slump guys don't be a chump use promo code slump and get yourself a case today all right y'all time for the episode kyle got better juju talk sports episode 122 let's get it let's bust the slump and let's enjoy Kyle, I think on this episode, it's only appropriate my first question for you. What are you most thankful for today? What am I most thankful for? That's a great question, Juju. I am thankful for, for the great health and the to be here on this podcast with you today. Yeah, I would say I am also thankful for you, my friend. And I'm thankful that I only have to deal with one more game of Texas Longhorn football this season before I'm out. And hopefully Sark is out too. I thank you. I thank the rest of the team, the Slump Buster team. We've built up a great foundation here. Obviously, I thank all the listeners that tune into us every episode, every week, follow the Slump Buster social media channels. I, I think it's awesome awesome to have the confidence right now to even be able to do this because being able to put your voice out there for criticism is something not easy to do and if you asked me 10 years ago would I be willing to do this absolutely not oh maybe yes but also as soon as it gets <laughs> criticized and someone says something mean on the internet probably not you know it's just one of those things trying to build up the confidence to do it right yeah one of one of my favorite little uh, quips of wisdom that I've held is that uh, the greatest moment in your life is the moment when you stop giving a shit about what other people think I think I hit that probably like two years ago and uh, I have to say it has been quite blissful ever since when when you just realize that it doesn't matter what other people think uh, I'm also so proud of you that you turned a segment about being grateful for the people in your life and turn that into a plug for your social media channels. I think that is absolutely perfect and fitting with the theme here. Couldn't do this without people following. If people weren't following, people weren't subscribing, then well, well and, and rating and reviewing, of course, and rating and leaving and reviewing, those five star reviews, liking videos, all that stuff. It'd be kind of hard to continue to do this, continue to grow. So yes, absolutely <laughs> thankful on today that all you are choosing to do all of those actions for us. You know what also make me pretty thankful? If this was the year that Barry Bonds finally got into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Our first discussion we're going to have here because baseball social media platforms are plugging it all over. The Hall of Fame ballot is announced and there's a lot of interesting first year candidates on here. And Colin and I thought it would be a fun exercise to go through and give our 10 names and see kind of what we agree with, what we disagree with, what we got wrong. Did we snub someone? Obviously, it'd be huge if one day we could get BWAA uh, votes too. And I'm sure it's a hard process. We're going to figure it out. 
for ourselves here and figure out, are we dicks too? <laughs> Process so, uh, requires being a journalist and not a gas bag like we are on podcasts. You have to do real long form journalism in order to become a baseball writer. And uh, I don't think either of us are headed down that path at this point, but there's still time. There is some writers out there that kind of do a little bit of both. So I'm going to go first here. And my line of thinking, whenever I listed these 10 names, I didn't deep dive into everyone's statistics, all-star games, MVP appearances. I just thought about it. What names resonate with me? Which names, when I think about writing the story of baseball history, do I think belong in the Hall of Fame? And that's why... Going down the list as I have it, the first name on there, Barry Bonds. I'm a little bit more lenient with steroid guys. I, I think it was a big part of the era. When they say the phrase, everyone is doing it, there was a lot of people doing it. And when I think about guys on this Hall of Fame ballot here, like Barry Bonds, like Roger Clemens, who is also on my list, I think about guys that we all are in unison and agreement would have been Hall of Famers without the extracurriculars. But because they had those, we decide to take them off our ballots. And I, I think that's a little bit wrong in a line of thinking because when baseball had these guys, when baseball was profiting on these guys, they didn't seem to mind as much. Obviously, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa revitalized the game of baseball in the late 90s. Barry Bonds in the early 2000s with what he was doing with the 2001 season where he had 73 bombs. Everyone was tuning into baseball. It was more popular than the NBA. And even in some aspects in the 90s was rivaling the NFL. And granted, the NFL isn't what it is today. So those are two names out the gate there, I think are important important towards the history of baseball. I don't think baseball would want to be in a place where they don't have their all-time hits leader and their all-time home runs leader missing from their Hall of Fame. Andrew Jones, a guy who had over 400 home runs in his career. I think Andrew Jones, although there is that thought that he didn't quite live up to the hype when he first got drafted, still 400 home runs is not an easy thing to do. There is not a lengthy list of guys who have hit that mark. Alex Rodriguez, another steroid guy here. Alex Rodriguez, top five in home runs, barely missed out on the 700 club, regarded as one of the best shortstops of all time. Alex Rodriguez, I think, has a spot in the Hall of Fame for me. Kurt Schilling, you could say Kurt Schilling's an asshole. You could say Kurt Schilling's a piece of shit, but he was also a good player. I'm going off Kurt Schilling, the player, not Kurt Schilling, the person here. When I think about writing the history of baseball, 2004, breaking the Red Sox all-time World Series losing streak, the bloody sock, also doing the same for the Diamondbacks a couple years later, Kurt Schilling earned his spot in the Hall of Fame on that. Gary Sheffield. Why well, I think of just cool players, when I think of players that just have that kind of swagger. Gary Sheffield's that guy. If I say Gary Sheffield Jr., that means something to a lot of people. Gary Sheffield with his little batting stance too, the little moving back and forth. It just has so much cachet with me. 500 home runs too for Gary Sheffield. No argument there. I also have Andy Pettit. Again, steroid guy. Andy Pettit though, without the roids. In 2009, last Yankees World Series run. Him, A.J. Burnett. CC, three-man rotation. They got it done for the Yankees. Andy Pettit, so many clutch moments. Had that game six, I believe, against John Smoltz and the Braves to win one for the Yankees in the late 90s. Personified winners, a big part of Yankees World Series history. David Ortiz. Again, get hammered home. Another steroid guy. But Big Poppy, Big Poppy's still marketable. Big Poppy's still out there, one of the best ambassadors for MLB. I think it would be a crime to leave him out of the Hall of Fame. You talk about that World Series 2004 championship run. Big Poppy had his fingerprints all over it. 2007. I think he was even with the team in the early 2010s when they won it again. So I think three World Series rings total for David Ortiz. Absolutely deserves a spot in my Hall of Fame. Uh, here's where a kind of fringe can candidates here. Jimmy Rollins, MVP, runaway MVP when he had 30 home runs, led the league in triples, led the league in doubles, almost 300 batting average, a great shortstop, World Series champion with the Phillies. The Phillies also had to break a long playoff drought, a long World Series drought. 
I have Jimmy Rollins on my ballot. And then this is probably where I guess a little bit of bias comes in here. I have Tim Lincecum. I have Tim Lincecum because I think his peak was one of the greatest all-time pitching peaks. It was short-lived, candle burned too bright, but two-time Cy Young Award winner, broke a 54-year World Series drought for the San Francisco Giants. First World Series title in San Francisco Giants history. The freak, big-time Timmy Jim. You just think back to being a two-time cover athlete for 2K, being a ESPN commercial guy. He was one of the most marketable stars of the early 2010s. It's interesting because he has no social media. It's kind of hard to keep up with the guy at all. So I kind of wonder what he's doing. That's the only guy on my list. And I'm like, ah, you know, if there was one that I probably snubbed some guys, he'd probably be it. But that's the little bit of subjectivity that comes into play for me. Kyle, give me your list. So this would prompt a more uh, fierce debate that we have every year if we both didn't agree that the steroid people should get in. That kind of just is like, yeah, this seems kind of dumb. But at the same time, we should note just for the spirit of disclosure. So I was six years old when Barry Bonds broke the home run record over Hank Aaron. I was, I believe, three years old when Alex Rodriguez moved to the New York Yankees. So at the same time there, it's interesting because you mentioned Alex Rodriguez is one of the all-time great shortstops. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's right. Alex Rodriguez did play shortstop at one point. My entire life, he's been a third baseman. And that's just something that's kind of weird on the backside. So there are weird things like that. Obviously, David Ortiz is an easy one. But some of these people, again, I just did not watch them play at all. So Andrew Jones and Gary Sheffield, I hear they had very good careers. I did not watch them play at all. Both of them probably deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, if not for the the steroid situation. So those two just want to throw them a bone. I never really watched them play. But right off the bat, people who we had the same for. So Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, we had the same. Uh, I threw Sammy Sosa in there as well. I know Sammy Sosa's on the last year of the ballot and he doesn't get talked about a lot because he's only at like 30% or something. So he's got virtually no chance of getting it. But I'll throw Sammy Sosa on there as well. I know he's kind of like disappeared and reappeared at times over the past few years to make his case for the Hall of Fame. But yeah, we'll, th- we'll throw Sammy Sosa on there as well. So that's four. We can throw Manny Ramirez in there as well. I know his numbers aren't quite as off the bat as uh, Sammy Sosa, but Manny Ramirez is another just classic, very much steroid guy, but also very, very good player from those 2000s Red Sox teams. Uh, David Ortiz, that's another one that's the same. One that I was surprised you didn't throw in there that I would add to the list is Todd Helton from the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, Uh, I will tell you that was the one when I think about, could I replace Tim Lincecum on there? Todd Helton was my next man up. Uh, Todd Helton, obviously very impressive career, part of the only Colorado Rockies World Series run. I don't blame you for having Todd Helton on there, a multiple-time All-Star, Gold Glove Award winner. You do factor in, people always talk about the steroid era, but also when talked about Todd Helton, people discuss the Coors Field effect on his numbers. Batting champion in the early 2000s as well, had a 379 batting average one year, which I just found insane. Yeah, so that would leave eight. I I don't think that's even like doable anymore, even in Colorado. I know Colorado always has like the batting champions, whether it's LeMayhew or Trevor Story or Nolan Arenado. But I think even getting to like 370 is near impossible now in in modern baseball. So that would be eight if you count the people who we had the same Bonds, Clemens, Andrew Jones, uh, David Ortiz. I said A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa. Eight would be Todd Helton. And then we have a fun little game here because I was looking up the the 
stats for Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard coming into this. And I saw both of those and I thought, man, they're basically the exact same career. Both of them have an MVP. Both of them made three or four all-star games. They didn't last as long in terms of their career spanning 20 years to accumulate all of those numbers that help get some people in the Hall of Fame, like uh, Frank Gore in the NFL. But at the same time, those players remind me of a time in baseball where just when you tell me off the top of my head, I'm like, oh, both of those guys feel like Hall of Famers. Like those are the Hall of Famers from that Phillies team that won the World Series in 2008, went back to back in the World Series in 2009. It feels like if you're telling that baseball story, both of them would be on that list. And then you look at the numbers and realize neither of them have an actual case to really get into the Hall of Fame. Neither had uh, a war higher than 50 in their career, for example. Gary Sheffield had a war of 60 for people keeping track at home. So neither of them really had Hall of Fame worthy numbers there. Ryan Howard never got to 400 homers. Uh, Jimmy Rollins was, I think, like a career 270 hitter, even though we think of him as like this all-time leadoff guy. So neither of them are going to get in, but both of them, I kept saying they should get in, they should get in. So I just want to throw both of them a bone here. And then you can pick either one of those to go in. I think I, if I were to defer, I would probably go for Jimmy Rollins, but Ryan Howard's right there too. Prince Fielder would have gotten in the Hall of Fame if he hadn't had the neck injury, but he's another one of those classic cases where the numbers just aren't going to support him enough. But my final spot that I will articulate here is for a person who's not going to get into the Hall of Fame at all, but I would like to vote for them just to make sure they get the 5% threshold and they're allowed to stay on the ballot. And that is 2006 Cy Young Award winner Jake Peavy of the San Diego Padres. Will he get in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely not. He probably won't be on the ballot next year. But Jake Peavy was the man. My first childhood star as a Padres fan was Jake Peavy, 2006 Cy Young season. He played with the Padres, I think, for another like three years after that. Never got close to being that good again in his career. But then he went and won the World Series with the Giants and the Red Sox. And yeah, Jake Peavy. Love him. He is one of two Cy Young Award winners in the history of the San Diego Padres. I would like to throw him a bone for a wonderful career and hope that he gets the 5% to stay on the ballot. Jake Peavy, one of those underrated Brian Sabian trade deadline acquisitions. I will give him that. Obviously helped the Giants win that World Series in 2014. I guess I should give more love to Omar Vizquel. He's on this ballot as well. 11-time Gold Glove Award winner. I always resonate Omar Vizquel with this cover I saw back in the day on Sports Illustrated with him literally having a vacuum as a glove like the Photoshop editing there, which was true because he was one of the best shortstops at a time in Major League Baseball. People talk about Derek Jeter potentially stealing some gold gloves away from him back in the day. Has 2,877 hits, so barely missed that 3,000 hit mark. And if he hit that 3,000 hit mark, he would be a surefire Hall of Famer. You talk about guys like Billy Wagner, who was a 400 save guy, or also you have Joe Nathan, who was also a 400 save guy. Closers are a little bit tricky for me. Closers are one that I, I battle with because I think that their peaks have to be something similar to, obviously, see Mariano Rivera in 600 saves. I think 500 saves is going to be that new threshold for Hall of Fame closers moving forward. Mm-hmm. Tory Hunter was also a good one. I think Jeff Kent was also on my next ring of guys down. 
next tier of guys down because obviously Jeff Kent won an MVP back in the day, was part of that middle of the order that included Barry Bonds. I think that Jeff Kent is just kind of one of those guys that when I think about, again, storytelling, the history of baseball, might be a guy that you kind of forget about. Why well, give you more credit to guys like Jimmy Rollins and even Brian Howard, like you mentioned, is being part of that World Series winning Philadelphia Phillies team, I think is going to be one of those big things that when we reflect on kind of that era of baseball, those guys will be remembered more fondly. Those two became very marketable stars. And I think it only helps for Jimmy Rollins too, that it seems like he's gotten to the local broadcast media out there in Philadelphia. So his name is going to be constantly echoed. And Gary Sheffield, by the way, both on the national TBS broadcast as well, doing the studio show. So that'll just be a reminder for, I actually yeah. I think Gary Sheffield's not there anymore. I think they replaced him with Curtis Granderson this year, but. Well, Gary's going to get in for sure. 500 home runs is a lot to get into the Hall of Fame. And he didn't have any steroid allegations thrown onto him in an era of heavy steroid allegations. So I think Oh, that I always thought that was why he wasn't getting in was because of steroids. I'm pretty sure he was one of the few names not listed. I think, I can't remember what year on the ballot it is for him. It um, looks like just, just ballparking. It looks like year five or six, I think. I don't know how close he was in past votes, but He's going to get in. 509 home runs. Um, they still welcome in on onto a lot of MLB productions. So I think he's got into MLB's good graces. You're right. It looks like on the last ballot, he was at 41%. So he does still have a, a, a puncher's chance of getting into the Hall of Fame. Bobby Abreu is a guy eliminated right away. Here's my thing on Manny, because I agree that Manny is a big part of baseball history and had some great numbers. Um, when he went to LA, had that good run there. He was okay with the White Sox one year. My thing with Manny is that the fact that he kept game busted with steroids late in his career. The fact that he kept getting suspended mm -hmm. because my, my rule on the steroid guys, okay, when they were part of the era, no one was technically testing positive for it. I kind of give those guys a little bit of pass, but after the rules were changed to where they were testing for it, and if you kept popping up on steroids tests, then I have a little bit of a problem with you. That's why I guess I get a little hypocritical on Alex Rodriguez because he did get popped for it after testing went into play, but I think Alex Rodriguez's numbers are just so gaudy that it's hard for me to like completely take him off. And then, like you mentioned, his early era shortstop career being part of the World Series champion. There's just so many things with Alex. It's hard for me to just discount his entire career because of the late steroids test. Uh, being part of a Seattle Mariners team that won an MLB record, I, I think that those ah. are things I associate with him. I believe Alex Rodriguez was not on that Mariners team that won the record number of games. I believe that for is sure. a fun fact, that Ken Griffey and Alex Rodriguez left, and then they won the record number of games. I believe that is correct. Might I'll be wrong. i fact check here. <laughs> Also, to add to the fact check from earlier, uh, Gary Sheffield has been connected to PEDs because he uh, reportedly got them from the same person Barry Bonds was getting them from, and him and Barry Bonds would train uh, during off-seasons and things like that. So no test failed for Gary Sheffield, but similarly, Barry Bonds has never had a failed test when it comes to steroids. So maybe that explains why some people are drawing the line there on Gary Sheffield. I was going to say, if you're looking for a really good documentary on the steroid era uh, and the scandal in Miami with uh, Alex Rodriguez getting suspended, uh, you should check out Juiced. It's by Billy Corbin. It's on Netflix. It's very, very good. Yeah, see, that's where we just run into so many problems with these ballots here, because even a guy like Gary Sheffield, who was middle tier, he's thrown to the wind. And then we have these guys that are just 
would have been lock hall famers without it that are forgotten about because can I justify like giving Scott Rowland a vote and not giving Barry Bonds a vote? That just feels so odd to me. Justin Morneau, he's on here too as a first time listy. He won an MVP, but I think that when we look back, was he one of the greatest hitters in Twins history? Yeah, Justin Morneau had his moments, but he he's not yeah. Hall of Famer. It was Joe Maurer and Torrey Hunter's team, even when Justin Morneau was doing well. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Prince Fielder, man, I, I tell you, I have a fun like memory of Prince Fielder going to Phoenix, Arizona for Brewer Spring Training. I think I saw Prince Fielder hit the longest home run I have ever seen in person. He hit this thing so far. It was not in the parking lot next to the stadium. I think it was in the next parking lot over. Just <laughs> that. Big man energy that what how much force he was able to generate into it. And then when I think about all time Hall of Fame home run derby production, Prince Fielder is in that. He's a locked in home run derby Hall of Famer because his performances in there it just seems so effortless the way he would just flick the bat and hit it out um i can't remember now the home run derby where josh hamilton hit like 40 home runs did justin morneau win that or did michael kadire win that it was one of those two but i can't remember who it was now i want to say it was justin morneau now they make me think about it because I, I remember that home run derby is kind of like weirdly forgotten at Yankee Stadium other than just him. Yep, it was Justin Morneau. It was not Michael Kadire. It was Justin Morneau. Those two had very similar careers, I feel like, but it was Justin Morneau. So Justin Morneau, home run derby hero as well. Okay, and you are correct. Yes, uh, I misremembered here. The 2001 Seattle Mariners team actually did not include Alex Rodriguez or Ken Griffey Jr. That was, I believe, Ichiro Suzuki's rookie season if I'm not mistaken, where easy rookie of the year candidate right there. I think he also debuted the same year as Albert Pujols. So you talked about yeah. two Hall of Famers debuting in the same class, Ichiro I and feel, Albert. I feel like Ichiro won MVP that year. I might be wrong on that, but I feel like Ichiro won the MVP in his rookie year. That uh, sounds yeah. something incorrect because I think he was a batting champion. He won rookie of the year and MVP that year. I was right. I can't imagine that's happened too many times in baseball history. <laughs> Coming to Towards that time, we get to start thinking about those guys making it to the Hall of Fame too. I think Ichiro's maybe a year or two away. Um, Albert's mm-hmm. obviously still playing, so we'll find out when he's officially done. I think one of the yeah. biggest things too that bugs me when I think back to this year is Barry Bonds, when he retired in 2007, it was kind of one of those Terrell Owens retirements where just like no one would sign him because he had 27 home runs in his last season. I think he kept playing, potentially hit over 800 home runs. Hell, send him to Yankee Stadium and just see what kind of fun he had in that band box. That would have been something. If but, he uh, would have done what Pujols is doing right now, which is just mercenary from stadium to stadium, trying to get to 700 home runs. Another first year candidate here, Mark Teixeira. See, also too, I should note, you mentioned Sammy Sosa. I guess too, Sammy kind of falls into the same Manny Ramirez territory, where it's like we have extracurricular stuff besides just steroids on him. Like we have an incident with him corking the bat too. Very famous <laughs> where like literally his cork bow out onto the middle of the field. So it's like, man, this guy was literally just doing everything possible to get an edge. And then I know well, he had the embarrassing also, moment during the hearings too. When they were that was that in. was weird because he like forgot to speak English or like pretended like he forgot to speak English in that moment, which was weird. But I think the other part with Sammy Sosa, like relative to like Alex Rodriguez, because obviously Alex Rodriguez got busted in what 2013 with the longest suspension in the history of baseball for PEDs. I think Alex Rodriguez has kind of been 
been re-embraced a little bit. And even the Giants have done like Barry Bonds stuff recently, like at least bringing him back to the ballpark as being welcome in the organization. The Cubs have not done that at all with Sammy Sosa, even after the world championship, even during the past couple of years where Sosa kind of re-emerged in doing interviews, the Cubs have just kind of totally distanced themselves from Sammy Sosa, even still. It's also, we have to be honest here, Sammy Sosa kind of became a weirdo here in the later years. The fact that he literally changed his skin color in the last few years, I think is something that's like, okay, Sammy, what's going on here? Yeah, I think he has connections to like the Saudi Arabian prince too, which is kind of weird. I I don't know how that worked out, but it's it's been a weird turn for Sammy Sosa in retirement. See, And that's tough, I guess, where you talk about, are you a hypocrite in certain respects? Because I do give Kurt Schilling like a break for his personal life versus his playing career. But Sammy Sosa, his personal life, his playing career has some question marks in it. It's just a lot of stuff to take in with Sammy. I think of him in that same Mark McGuire tier and Mark McGuire obviously didn't make the Hall of Fame at the end of the day whereas I think that the other guys I listed are so far above Sammy Sosa it's insane that a guy with 609 home runs is going to be kind of forgotten about as time goes on you talk about wins above replacement his career wins above replacement just under 60 so I guess a little bit less than Gary Sheffield there he's got about the same as Tim Hudson and Tim Hudson might not have a great case for the Hall of Fame I want to say too one of the things that people talk about with him as well is his home run production definitely was affected as like the steroids started dissipate from the game so (laughs) it starts to make his numbers look a little bit more fraudulent when people think about those steroid guys what was real was fake with a guy like Bonds, we knew how good he was before any steroids entered his body. With a guy like Clemens, seven-time Cy Young Award winner, we knew how good Roger Clemens was. With a guy like Sammy, is he more a 400 home run guy? Which, if he's a 400 home run guy, he's as good as Andrew Jones. And I'm saying Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. But it's just that little bit of doubt what his career really was. It is hard to be a baseball writer of America here or be part of the BWAA as there's not a lot of easy answers here, but I think with the, this being the last year of Bonds and Clemens, just make it happen. Just do it. Because I think if we have just to look do back a, at this- Do a giant purge. Yeah, just purge all the steroid people in one year. Let's get A-Rod in. Let's get Barry Bonds in. Let's get uh, Roger Clemens in. Let's get Sammy Sosa. Let's get Gary Sheffield. Let's bring back Mark McGuire. Let's just purge all of them at once and put them all in the Hall of Fame in one year so that we don't have to do this goddamn conversation every year. And so I can talk about things I actually like, like talking about the Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard teams of my childhood. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, like if we could just get this conversation out of the way, because I don't want to be looking back in 20 years and we're still having this conversation. I'm 20 now and I didn't grow up watching these players at all. Like I said, I, I remember Barry Bonds breaking the home run record. I was a very young kid watching it on Sports Center, but I do remember it happening. It was about six years old barely remember it. But now uh, this is something that's happening for the first time in my life as uh, I am technically the same age as LaMelo Ball is where I'm looking at Hall of Fame cases now. And every year I'm like, oh my God, I watch these people play now. It's not like Kurt Warner where I got like the very end of his career. It's like, no, I watched most of Peyton Manning's career. I watched most of Calvin Johnson's career. Like I've, I've seen most of these people playing football my entire life. And now they're going in the hall of fame and Ryan Howard's going in the hall of fame. And I remember him in subway commercials as a kid. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is happening now. (laughs) All, all the people from my childhood are now old guys about to get in the hall of fame. It does change your perspective. You talk about missing out on a guy like uh, Gary Sheffield. I always think back to whenever I used to play like 2k MLB 2k. And I used to use Gary Sheffield's batting stance on like all my career 
creative players just because it was one of the cooler like swings of the game you know, that little back and forth rocky motion he used to do either that or ken griffey of course one of the sweetest swings in baseball very uh, bonds i just kind of loved how quick his hitch was on his swing it was so compact yet so see, powerful i might reveal my age on this one but my version of that was uh david price pitching david price on the raise was yeah. my original video game character uh paul goldschmidt was one of my original big guys but again this is uh <laughs> this is many a years ago for sure david ortiz was always a beast in mlb 2k 13 david ortiz had power in mlb 2k you know one stance i would use as a joke would be craig council do you remember Craig Council's batting stance where he's literally standing up straight, has the bat? I, I only remember it because angle. of that video from the World Series in 1997 where he ends up scoring the winning run of the World Series is Craig Council batting with the gigantic stance all the way up here. I do remember that. Jesus, Kyle, quit knocking over your mic. Being so yeah, aggressive today. I know. It's, it's a very day of exciting. being thankful. Yeah, of course. This is this is uh this is quite exciting. My microphone keeps falling over for some reason. But uh yeah, I'm trying to put counts. in the bid for a new microphone for Christmas. That's what's going on. I just spent a hundred bucks on this microphone. I mean, it's just it just keeps falling over, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, one of the best things about the National Football League is it does provide us football on Thanksgiving as the NBA does on Christmas. On this video, on this particular podcast, we actually will not be talking about the Thanksgiving Day games. That's going to be for a separate video. I encourage you all to check out the YouTube channel. Go there, check out our Turkey Day picks, and make your judgments there. We actually do got five games, though, on our Sunday slate that are all very appetizing. If this was a course on a Thanksgiving Day plate, you would be very satisfied towards the end because every single one of these games, I would say it has some importance towards the playoff picture and they should be a good game. They should be better than Dallas versus Kansas City. They should be at least enjoyable to watch. Less hype, all action. Let's see here. Which which game do you want to start with first? What's not necessarily going morning order? What do yeah. you prefer, Kyle? What is a not fun Thanksgiving food? What is your least favorite Thanksgiving food? Because I think all Thanksgiving food is excellent. I see food. I'm, 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 I'm with it. I would say this, and this is controversial because it's probably the main course. I'm not huge on turkey. Depending on who's cooking it, turkey could get very dry and you could go wrong with turkey. I feel like stuffing, there's very little margin for error when you're making stuffing. Cranberries, you know what you're getting with cranberries. Mashed potatoes and gravy, hard to screw up mashed potatoes and gravy. But a turkey, you could waste a whole day making a bad turkey. Mm -hmm. So I would say turkey. Okay. Well then let, let's do the dry turkey game of the slate, which is of course Vikings and 49ers is the dry turkey game. Oh, you game gotta do my week. boys like that? Wow. Yeah. Kyle. Uh, wow. We'll, we'll get to your boy Shanahan in a second, but let, let's talk about the game first because I, I would like to laugh at your boy Shanahan. Okay. Fair enough. I kind of have an idea of what you're going to want to talk about. So I'm going to refrain from mentioning it. But here we got a game of two five and five teams. And I would say this feels like a playoff elimination game in a way. I think it's more important for the Niners than I do think it is for the Vikings. I think the Vikings could recover from a loss to the Niners because they have a couple games with the Lions left. They have a game against the Bears left, I believe, on their schedule. The Niners have a much tougher road. I mean, they have to go in Seattle the following week. Seattle is not a friendly environment, no matter how bad we think the Seattle football team is and then they also have to play teams like the Bengals they still have to play the Rams again so I think the Niners this is where you have a chance to make a big statement win go six and five 
and then never look back. I would love for the Niners to be able to do that. But the only question I have going into the game, of course, is who's going to cover Justin Jefferson? Who's going to cover Adam Thielen? Kirk Cousins is having a remarkable year that no one's talking about. I think he has something like a 21 to two touchdown interception ratio, which if it wasn't Kirk Cousins and the Vikings record was maybe a game or two better, we might be talking about Kirk Cousins as an MVP candidate. And the one thing that goes in the Niners' favor here is that you're not facing one Eastern Standard Time, start time, Kirk Cousins. You are facing late afternoon Kirk Cousins. I don't know if that changes the measurement of this game at all for them. I'm going to say my pick here. I'm going for it again. I'm going for the reverse jinx. I'm going to pick the Vikings and hopes that the Niners win. That way, bare minimum, I have some level of enjoyment Sunday. Either I gain a game in the standings here or at least my Niners win. So it's a non-lose situation for me. Kyle, what do you want to talk about? Why do you want to roast my boy? I think you probably have it right. It is uh, 20 plays, 89 yards, a 13. 15-minute drive to start the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars that ended in a field goal from the two-yard line. 13 minutes and three points. Yeah, the cojones pick wasn't very strong there. The cojones decision on going on fourth down was not strong with Kyle Shanahan there. (laughs) If you want to hear my answer to that, I I think it's just you evaluate the team you're going against there. The Jaguars, a team that's not going to put up a lot of points. So you take the points you could get on that drive. It was a little bit embarrassing. Yes, Jimmy Garoppolo should hit Jeff Wilson Jr. wide open in the end zone. But I do think that that approach has served the Niners well. Last two games, an 18-play drive against the Rams, a 20-play drive against the Jaguars. They've outscored both the Jaguars and Rams 61-20 to in the last two games here. So almost three times as many points as their opponent. I think the Niners have definitely turned a corner, or at least they found their identity going into this game against Minnesota. Yeah, I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I just think it's incredibly stupid what Kyle Shanahan did. But he still put, he did all of that. He did, he had a 13 minute three point drive and still put up 30 points on the Jaguars. That man just knew this game was not a contest at all. We're just going to dominate time of possession and we're, there's no chance we're not going to win. The only way we're going to lose is if the Jaguars hold the ball for 40 minutes. And he made sure to not do that. Anyways, 49ers, they're fine. The Vikings, nobody knows what the hell to do with them this year don't we? Because the Vikings have had just the most chaotic season. They've had three overtime games. They've had the Cooper Rush game earlier this year. They had a game where they were up 10 points with 2.30 to go against the Lions. And then with a minute to go, we're down one against the Detroit Lions. They still won that game. And now I think since that game, they have now won three of their last four games. So it's a good time to be a Minnesota Vikings fan. And they're fine. Again, Kirk Cousins has had a fine season. They're kind of the same team they were last year, except the defense is just healthier. Uh, We've obviously talked about Minnesota a few times on this podcast. I was a little cruel to their defense in the past, but their defense is fine. Losing Daniel Hunter again obviously sucks, but their defense is fine. It's going to get them by and the offense is just good enough. But they did, what was really interesting about the Packers game was that they did dominate what was the best secondary in the NFL prior to that game. I think the Packers are ranked like second now in the league, but that's just because they got absolutely torched. And Aaron Rodgers had a 149 QBR last week and still got outplayed by Kirk Cousins. Not that Kirk Cousins played better than him, but just that the Vikings ended up winning the game. Like Kirk Cousins played incredibly well. They were two of the top four performing quarterbacks last week. That was a really, really fun game to watch, by the way. Like this is like anti 49ers and Jaguars or anti Giants and Buccaneers. Like this was just a really, really 
fun football game to watch. If you like watching good offensive football, that was a super fun game. And the Vikings just happened to get a win, which brings up the Cousins curse, as our boy Not Joe Flacco talks about, where no team has ever won the Super Bowl while losing to Kirk Cousins, which is just a fun thing that exists. It doesn't mean the Packers can't win the Super Bowl at this point, but I do find interesting that the Vikings at this point look to be a different team than the one at the start of the year. They just got super unlucky in losing a bunch of games at the start of the year, whether it's the fumble against the Bengals or the Cardinals missed field goal or the Cooper Rush game. Like they just got really unlucky in some of these games that their records are only five and five. They're good enough to make the playoffs, but their record might not get them into the playoffs just by the way the luck of the draw goes. But because of that, I will take the said Minnesota Vikings to win this week, even though the 49ers are also rolling right now. And I believe the 49ers are three point favorites in this game. So uh, I would be tempted to go against the grain and pick against the, the Minnesota Vikings and against you. But in this circumstance, I like Kirk Cousins and I like the Minnesota Vikings to win against Kyle Shanahan's 49ers. Oh, great. So I get to be disappointed in double if the Vikings win. Oh, all right. Whatever. It's fine. Don't yep. even gain a game in the standings. Damn you, Kyle. <laughs> Damn you. What are the standings right now? Are we pretty I, I, close still? I still got to count them up. I, I think we're. I, I'm like three or four games behind. I had a really rough week. In fact, I lost the two games that we disagreed on here. Cowboys laid an egg and then... Uh, we were both wrong we, in the Colts. <laughs> yeah, we both picked the Bills. We both picked the Bengals. Did we pick the Chargers Steelers game? I can't remember last week. Uh, yes, we did. And we were both on the Chargers. So we were right. We were almost wrong, but we were right on that respect. Uh, what I will say about this game, just to close it out here, though, is I do think that the Niners and Vikings, if you told me those teams were the six and seven seeds in the NFC, that would feel right based off how these teams are playing now. Because the only ones that are really challenging, I think the Saints are done with Trevor Simeon in the lineup. They just don't look like the same team from a couple of weeks ago. The Panthers, yes, Cam's a nice story, but as we saw versus Washington, they're still not a good team overall. And Washington and the Eagles, I just instantly dismiss because we've seen those rosters, how they're constructed. The only thing I would say is at least the Eagles have more of an identity. The Eagles might be on that fringe. If you told me the Eagles were the eighth seed, I would believe it. But I think the Vikings and Niners seem like the most eligible candidates, the most eligible bachelors for these last couple playoff spots. So I think the Vikings could more easily recover from a loss. That's why I think the Niners are going to come up with a little bit more energy here, especially because they do have to win at Levi's. They have to start establishing they can win at home at some point. Doing it against Kirk Cousins, they beat him in a home playoff game a couple of years ago. Do it again, force some turnovers. I think that's also been a big thing for the Niners. They've actually been forcing turnovers the last couple of weeks. You look against the Rams, they forced the two early interceptions against Matthew Stafford. They got a big time fumble this week, punched out by Josh Norman. At least that's one thing he's doing for us. He's punching out fumbles consistently. I think that's what the Niners need to do. They need to force Kirk Cousins to make a mistake. Two interceptions on the year. You got to break that trend. Let's move into the next game. I think if we're going to be comparing these matchups to Thanksgiving Day dishes, I'm going to say this is going to be your cranberry sauce. A game that is kind of indifferent. Kind of could leave a bad taste in your mouth. And yes, the purple from a cranberry sauce kind of matches at least one of these teams here in the Ravens. So that's why I'm going to use that metaphor because I am going with the Browns and Ravens is our next game to talk about. There's our Sunday night football game. And I'm sure that these two teams are going to be prepared to go out there and play their best, but making headlines were not necessarily stuff on the field. Uh, Baker Mayfield has had a rough week. That's for sure. Uh, Skipped out on media availability after the lions game, called out the fans the next day said he only cares about winning the following day after that. 
I wonder how much longer Baker Mayfield's going to realistically have, because if you asked me a couple weeks ago, based off just purely his play, I would say there's still a 75% chance he's back in Cleveland over the next three years. Fine, because obviously he won a playoff game. But when you start adding, calling out the fan base, the fans that support you may start to turn on you. And the fans that already hate you are just going to double down in that belief. I don't think that's a place that Baker Mayfield wants to put himself in when he is more or less in that 10 to 20 range at quarterback. If he was a top five quarterback you could get away with shit like that but calling out the fans when you're in his position I think is a big mistake on his part and I think the Browns are at the point where they're asking themselves should it be in our best interest to start Case Keenum because at bare minimum regardless of what Baker's actual numbers are he doesn't look like he's playing well. Against that Lions, they were inconsistent. They couldn't convert. Their wide receivers aren't getting involved enough in the offense. You're starting to hear stories too about players and coaches getting into aggressive locker room conversations and meetings. It seems like a mess out there in Cleveland, which is not too unsurprising because this franchise has had a lot of messes over the years. Things are working in their favor. They could get JOK back this week. JOK, when he was first drafted, was supposed to be that Lamar Jackson stopper. So hopefully they have him for Lamar Jackson. If you're talking about the Ravens, the uh, Ravens, the fourth lowest completion percentage against in the National Football League. So they don't allow a lot of completions. Uh, The biggest problem is when the ball is in the receiver's hands and allowing those big plays down the field, allowing them to break away. Now, the thing about that is the Browns don't really have anyone that could challenge them deep. The Browns don't really have anyone that's breaking free. The Baker Mayfield isn't even attempting those throws. So I I think this is a bad matchup all around for them. I'm going with the Ravens. Uh, I will hit it right off the bat here and say, Baltimore if Lamar Jackson plays Cleveland if Lamar Jackson does not play I'm just going to put that out there right now for the people listening this in game is entirely contingent upon Lamar Jackson for a result the matchups are what they are both teams are going to run the ball a lot this game's going to be over in like probably less than three hours because it's just going to be run 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 the entire game uh Kareem Hunt by the way is probably coming back for Cleveland this week that's a nice little ad for them to soften the blow I want to uh, say he was their leading pass but, catcher before he got hurt too that is correct yes for the first five weeks of the season he was their leading pass catcher i believe that's now in joku if i remember correctly i think in joku is now the leading pass catcher for <laughs> and the, you the wonder Browns. why odell wanted out of town yeah it's it's not great right now i think i think him and gaseki are the funniest names that are leading their teams in receptions this year not not great years for either of those teams i'll ask you the baker mayfield question if you could right now sign up for for the next two seasons baker mayfield at a total of 60 million dollars Two years, $60 million for Baker Mayfield. Would you do it? I would probably want that to be closer to $40 million, I think. I I think when I think about like uh, that level of contract, I think I want top 10 quarterback production. And I don't see him as a top 10 quarterback. I I can legitimately list 10 quarterbacks I want over him. And that's not exactly the place you want to be heading into a contract negotiation. So I guess the simple answer is no on that contract. I want that to be a two-year, $40 million deal. So this is just kind of a ballpark figure for what the Browns options are here because they've already opted into Baker's fifth year option. So he'll be there next year for $21 million. They could then franchise tag him after that, which right now the franchise tags around like 33 and a half million, but that could change as more contracts go into effect. So that's kind of 
like the situation they're playing out right now. I agree with you that the Browns should probably sit down Baker Mayfield at some point, but for a different reason. It's because Baker Mayfield is currently dealing with a sprained MCL in his knee, a bruised foot, a torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder, and a shoulder injury in his throwing shoulder at this point. So Baker Mayfield is absolutely physically destroyed at this point in the season. And it seems like he's kind of playing through it just to prove his worth to the Cleveland Browns a bit. At this point in the season where we all feel very uncertain about Baker Mayfield, I don't think a five-game sample is going to teach us anything new about Baker Mayfield that we don't already know, especially with a sprained MCL, bruised foot, torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder, and right shoulder injury. I don't think we're going to learn anything new about Baker Mayfield at this point. So the argument would just be, is your team better with Baker Mayfield at quarterback than with Case Keenum at quarterback? The answer is yes. The question is, is it worth it to have Baker Mayfield destroy his body further in an effort to try and salvage this season? I don't know. There's no good answers to that question at this point. But I think if this were any other quarterback other than Baker Mayfield, he probably would have been ruled out for season at this point because just the the sheer mass of significant injuries in real structural damage places is probably wearing on Baker Mayfield a bit as well. Just from the fact also that, like you said, Baker Mayfield's like the 14th best quarterback in the NFL or the 15th best quarterback in the NFL. So add that into the mix of the equation as well. And it is not a desirable situation for the Cleveland Browns, but you can survive without Baker Mayfield. I feel like, so I would sit him down for injury purposes at this point in the season, because this season is pretty much a wash for Cleveland. It's pretty disappointing how they've gotten here. They might get into the playoffs. They might be able to win a playoff game, but altogether, I think the difference between Baker Mayfield with injuries and case Keenum at this point is not significant enough where Cleveland should start a abandoning the blueprint and trying to push Baker Mayfield further just so they can get rid of him in a year or two. Yeah. I mean, if you're negotiating that contract and I went into it and I told you the Browns offense had a six game stretch in which they didn't score more than 17 points. What type of quarterback do you think is playing a backup quarterback or a first overall draft pick? Yeah, it's somewhere right in there, but it's a tough break for him at this point. Cause I don't even, I see that stat and I'm like, I know it's not all Baker Mayfield in that case. I know the Cleveland Browns have been going through injuries and they run the ball a lot and they are obviously really really bruised at this point bruised and battered all the way around and despite that I'd still take the Ravens and this game entirely contingent upon Lamar Jackson's status but man it is a weird weird place to be in if you're Cleveland at this point because Baker's going to be your quarterback for at least the next two years so Mm -hmm. how do you play that out when he's in that like Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz type of purgatory well that's where this offseason conversations coming into play of all the veteran quarterbacks that are potentially available. Could Cleveland put their name in the ring for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson? Those are some conversations that are, I'm sure are being told. Derek Carr even. It's like Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield. Jordan Love. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan Love. Uh, yeah, I mean, considering I don't think that um, Matt LaFleur has ever said a single thing nice about Jordan Love, I think that's probably a fringe candidate. What about the uh, rotting corpse of Matt Ryan? Does the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan stand a I chance think anywhere? That, see, maybe this is hard for me to gauge because I don't know if the team is bad or Matt Ryan is bad at this point. Because if I could get not 2016 Matt Ryan, but 2017 Matt Ryan and put him on the Browns with the talent that we perceive them to have, would he be good enough to win a playoff game? It's hard to say because he's not mobile. Uh, You know, too, Baker's not really mobile right now, particularly now that he's hurt, but he's at least more agile 
than Matt is at this point in his career, which I, yeah. I think plays a little bit better. Matt has also played in a dome his entire career. So assuming that he's going to play well in an outdoor environment is not something that I would just take lightly. I think it can affect different quarterbacks in different ways. So going from the NFC South to the AFC North would be quite the shift for him. I don't know if his arm talent is necessarily there to compete in that division. I mean, hell, Matt, ben, ben Roethlisberger is barely able to compete in that division anymore. Ben Roethlisberger's corpse is already rotted. That's not even a rotting corpse anymore. That one's just done at this point. But yeah, it's, it's still a bank on upside with Baker there, I guess is the thing. Yeah, it's not it's not the worst situation to be. There are worse situations to be in than being with than having uh, Baker Mayfield as your quarterback. It, it, it could always get worse. One thing that I was kind of disappointed in Lamar not playing is I wanted to see how the Ravens would adjust it after that Thursday night game against the Dolphins. One of the things that came from here that I kind of wanted to mention, you realize the Dolphins blitzed 35 times in that game with a DB. <laughs> oh no, Baltimore. Oh, that that was one of the most insane things to go back and actually watch the highlights of that, that they literally spammed one move from Madden and it worked. Yeah, because the Ravens offensive line is toast. I said this earlier in the year, and I, I haven't said it here yet because it hasn't really come up, but Ronnie Stanley has been the most impactful injury of the entire NFL season so far. Like the Baltimore Ravens are screwed without Ronnie Stanley. And this is given that Lamar Jackson can rush out of the pocket and do things that literally no one else on the field can. He has no time back there to throw. Their offensive line was already in shambles to start the year. You take away a potentially future Hall of Fame left tackle, like the Ravens are kind of screwed in not being able to protect Lamar Jackson even a little at this point. So that's simply why I say Lamar Jackson just by himself is good enough to win them 10, 11 games. And that might be good enough to win the division this year, but they can't compete with the other teams in the AFC just simply because they've had so many catastrophic injuries this year. Oh, Hey, there's the Browns pathway run the ball effectively. Now that you have Kareem Hunt back to add with Nick Chubb and maybe add an extra blitzer because the Ravens offensive line can't hold up Kyle what's our next course what dish are we dining from next I think this is a, this is a sweet potato game and uh it's got because it's it's sweet in that it's going to be visually appealing I think so the the sweet potato game will be the Colts against the Buccaneers I would say so let, let's throw that up here okay Colts and Bucks yes the Bucks are coming off a short week obviously played on Monday Night Football absolutely destroying the Giants but Tom Brady, for the first time in his Tampa Bay tenure, will be traveling to the house that Peyton Manning built, Lucas Oil Stadium, to face a Colts team that maybe we underrated, maybe we're a little bit too harsh on, because they kicked the Bills' ass in Buffalo. Jonathan Taylor, that grown-ass man with five touchdowns against the Buffalo Bills' top three run defense that we vaunted last week talking about it. It didn't matter to this guy. I was hearing a fun conversation on a Colts podcast this week about how I haven't watched the new in-season Hard Knocks yet, but the fact that Chris oh, Bowers was right. having that conversation to hype up Jonathan Taylor and he coincidentally goes out there and has the game of his life, I think is almost no coincidence there. He's going to face another tough run defense though, because the Bucks, if there's one thing they do well on defense, it is stop the run. So I'm going to be curious to see who wins. It's that immovable force versus that unstoppable object because he's pretty much 
the second best running back behind a healthy Derrick Henry. I think there's one A, one B arguments to be made there. And Carson Wentz, you know, hey, he's been phenomenal this year. Uh, phenomenal, I guess I use lightly, but he's been a top 10 quarterback, I think. Um, yeah, I think he's 15. been a top When you actually top think 15. about it, like, I would say top 10. Uh, certainly he's been a fantasy top 10 quarterback this year. See so. what the Let's see what the QBR numbers say at this point, but go ahead. I'll, I'll figure this out. I will say this, you know, and you wonder why he's had a turnaround. Did he ever have a Jonathan Taylor in Philadelphia? Did he ever have a Michael Pittman Jr. in Philadelphia? Well, I will say the one thing he had in 2017 where he almost won the MVP was the greatest offensive line in the history of the NFL. And now in Indianapolis, he has one of the three best offensive lines in all of the NFL. And you're starting to see Carson Wentz put up better numbers. By the way, Carson Wentz is ranked 12th this year in QBR. So it's been a, an above average season for Carson Wentz. Yeah, well, at least he didn't throw a left-handed pass this week. I asked him to not throw a left- left-handed pass and he obeyed my order and did not so at least he listens to the podcast clearly Carson Wentz you are a loyal listener and we thank you for your service there another fun storylines I find coming into this game Robert Mathis is coincidentally going into the ring of honor there in Indianapolis and also Adam Vinatieri will be part of the pregame ceremony there so Adam Vinatieri obviously ties to Brady ties to Colts should be a little bit of a fun welcome back to Lucas Oil for Tom as I'm sure that Indianapolis crowd is going to be ready for action Tampa Bay in the this game is a two and a half point road favorite. We have seen the will start to come off the bus a little bit for them in the sense, obviously they lost to Washington, which was an unforgivable loss. I can't remember who did they lose to the previous week there? Uh, they, they had, so they lost to the saints. Uh, remember okay. the pick six at the end, then they yes. had a bye week and then they lost to Washington. The one thing that might help them this week and fake vaccination cards aside here, AB should be back, should be back. We saw Rob Gronkowski come back this week. So now the Bucks finally have their full complement of offense. And while the Colts had one of their best defensive performances of the season against the Bills, I think that it's going to be very hard for Indianapolis to control this Buccaneers team now that they're fully healthy and have their full complement of weapons. I don't think the pass rush could get home on Brady with a banged up DeForest Buckner. I am going to pick the Buccaneers in this game. So this is an interesting, place that the uh, Colts find themselves in. I, I did this analysis on Take It Easy, so I'll do the Spark Notes version here. Uh, for people who may not remember, last year in the playoffs... The Colts played at the Buffalo Bills in the seven versus two matchup. And what people have kind of forgotten from that game is that right before halftime, the Colts were up 10 to seven against the Buffalo Bills. There was about five minutes left in the second quarter. It was 10-7. Rodrigo Blankenship had already missed a field goal earlier in the game. And the Colts had first and goal at the two yard line. So say Blankenship makes that kick and they score that touchdown. The Colts are up 20 to seven at halftime against the Buffalo Bills. And what happens is, they have first and goal at the two. They don't get it. First down, second down, third down, go for it on fourth down, don't score. So four plays don't score from the two yard line. Buffalo takes the ball immediately next and Josh Allen rolls right and throws a, I believe, 56 yard pass to John Brown that then sets up the Buffalo Bills to score a touchdown immediately after. So the Colts were almost up 14 in Buffalo last year in the playoffs. This Buffalo team is not as good as last year's Buffalo team. 
team. And I was hitting myself so hard because I'm like, I had the analysis last year. I forgot about it. And the Colts literally did the exact same shit as last year and won by 26 points in Buffalo. I'm like, if I had just said that and remembered my analysis from 10 months ago, I would have absolutely said, oh yeah, the Colts are going to kick ass against the Buffalo Bills. And I'm so mad at myself for forgetting that analysis last week because I they literally did the exact same thing, exact same game plan last year and just dominated the, the Buffalo Bills last week. So all of that to say, I'm also taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week because the Buccaneers have a really strong defense at this point in the season. Uh, I will shout out the Colts for getting back in the race. It's not over yet because I will take my little victory lap on the Titans and telling y'all for three weeks, the Titans weren't actually that good. And then having them lose to the te- the Texans at home because they're really struggling to score points. So the Colts aren't technically out of it yet in that division, just because the Titans ha- have lost now Derrick Henry and Julio Jones and just can't score points at all. The Colts are better than the Titans without Derrick Henry and Julio Jones. They just have to climb two games in six weeks to try and catch them, which might be difficult, uh, especially because the Colts have their own flaws, especially on defense this year. You mentioned the DeForest Buckner situation. Darius Leonard has not had the greatest season so far. Kenny Moore has regressed a little bit. So it's been a fine year for Indianapolis. They've got some some issues around there. Uh, this is just a principle of the Bucks are a better team in this game. So I will roll with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well this week. You, you think about it, this is the Buccaneers offense we've been waiting for. AB out there, Evans out there, Godwin out there. Leonard Fournette is playing his best football. Rob Gronkowski is finally healthy. And Brady could just slice and dice. Brady, I, I, with that short, compact release, I, I think it's going to give that pass rush all kinds of problems. The pass rush was the biggest game changer for them against the Bills. Sometimes, though, I'll give you this, Kyle. Obviously, it comes down to good analysis, bad result. I think that that's kind of something that we come down to a lot of times when we're picking these games. Good analysis, but the results don't always go our way. I think this next game, so we talk about comparing this game to Thanksgiving Day dishes. I always think of Mike Rabel as a meat and potatoes guy. So I think <laughs> the Patriots and the Titans is my mashed potatoes. I, I think that that's the perfect fit for this game. Definitely when you think about the type of offense that the Titans want to run and haven't been able to run since Derrick Henry's been out of the lineup, that smash mouth style doesn't work when you're only having your best runner top out at 40 rushing yards. In fact, actually their best runner the last few weeks since Derrick Henry has been out has not exceeded 40 rushing yards in a game. That just goes counter to what the Titans offense is. You can't run that LaFleur, West Coast, Shanahan scheme if you can't run the football effectively. And that puts a lot of more onus on Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill, if he had his full complement of pieces out there like A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, maybe he could get by it. Maybe at least the last couple years version of Ryan Tannehill we've seen. But now Julio Jones, he's on IR. A.J. Brown, he's dealing with both a wrist and a chest injury coming into this game. So if you had to put the odds on, is A.J. Brown going to play? I'm going to say no, which then leaves their wide receiving core with this mess. Chester Rogers, who I believe also got hurt. Uh, Nick Westbrook, Akini, Marcus Johnson, who I want to say also got hurt. <laughs> and they have, yeah, they, they've been calling up guys from the practice squad. Des Fitzpatrick was responsible for two of Ryan and Tannehill's four interceptions that he had against the Texans because Ryan Tannehill was literally yelling him on the field. Des, you got this. You got the play call. And Des didn't have the play call because clearly resulted in a bad play against the Texans. So Ryan Tannehill thrown to a bunch of scrubs. Didn't we see this game plan happen in Miami? I think this is why 
you look at the Patriots and what they're doing, that defense is fucking amazing. You talk about a Bill Belichick special. These guys have been on top of it. Bill has been beating up on Ryan Tannehill for years. I don't think he's going to stop now. The one thing I will add, I think it's funny. I don't have the exact record in front of me, but I think we can all reflect and realize that Bill Belichick oddly doesn't do well against like his assistant coaches or like former players. I know Brian Flores has gotten him a couple times. I know Matt Patricia once beat him in a game. I think the only one that's really like really sucked against him was Bill Bryan. Bill Bryan couldn't get over the Patriots hump, but Vrabel yeah. has beat him in a couple key moments. Can Vrabel rally the troops? Can he get that crowd energy going to beat the Patriots in this game, I would wager not just because their offense is so depleted. Hell, their best pass rusher, you talk about the recent weeks, their pass rush has really started to improve. Bud Dupree just went on the IR in this last game. They are really battling through it right now in Tennessee. So it's hard for me to see them pulling an upset going on the road into New England, six and a half point favorites. I'm going with the Patriots. Yeah, same here. Patriots all the way through. This game could be a bludgeoning as well. I, th- I think the Patriots, I mean, the Patriots, you, you can, it's always hard to count on them to bludgeon people because you never know which version of their offense they're going to deploy, whether it's the one that scores 53 against the Jets or if it just gives up and only scores 25 against the Falcons when they could have scored 45. So again, scoreboard watch on that one. Patriots are going to cover the spread easily in this one. Y'all can see this on the YouTube, but you uh, can't see this on the podcast that I am doing my little Joker dance on this one because I told you, I told you this was not the real Titans team. The Titans team that beat the Rams, the Titans team that the, the week after and uh, beat the Saints. But if Alvin Kamara had played, the Saints would have won. And I think the Saints are actually still like pretty good. They're, they're kind of in the same ballpark as the Vikings and 49ers who we talked about earlier. I told you, this is the Titans team. This is the Titans team that's going to struggle to score points. Again, I didn't think they'd lose to the Texans, but I also didn't bet them at minus 10 against the Texans because I was like, eh, this could be closer than we think because the Titans are really going to struggle to score points without Derrick Henry and without Julio Jones for the next few weeks. And this is really, really going to be a problem for them over this stretch of games that seems pretty easy but now the titans are not actually a good team the titans are going to probably win that division anyways we talked about that in the last segment with the colts but the titans are really like scrambling right now and it's going to be hard for them similarly to the steelers it's going to be hard for them to score points consistently here over the next few weeks and so i think any game the titans shouldn't be huge favorites in at this point it's really hard times for them they are headed towards the fate of all AFC South teams, which is they will be the four seed play a playoff game on ESPN that they will lose on wildcard weekend because the AFC South has been doing that for seven straight years. Uh, And that is where the Titans are headed is for the wildcard game that they will lose to probably like the Chargers or something. I don't know. Maybe the Bengals. (laughs) You look back at those Colts games. I bet the Colts really just wish that they could have one of those back. I bet Carson Wentz, if he could have one play back in this season, it would be the left-handed inner Interception that went for a pick six because that would be so pivotal now that the Titans essentially have an extra game advantage because of the wins there, the tiebreakers, as the Colts are starting to get hot and the Titans are starting to slide. I like Vrabel. He's been able to win with tough conditions there in Tennessee, but it, it's just so hard. I mean, how how do you like bring guys up from the practice squad and expect them to perform with a quarterback that again is in that 10 to 20 range? If Ryan Tannehill had his full complement of pieces, great, but it, it just doesn't look like it's lining up for the Titans to make a good late season run at this point. Like you said, they still might make the playoffs because of the division around them. But even still, if you could lose to the Texans, it's kind of like with Texas. If you lose to Kansas, 
You could lose to anyone. It, yeah. sa- it says more about you as a team at that point, which again, the Titans, again, this might be hard for people to look at because most people kind of brainwashed people into thinking the Titans were an AFC championship favorite for the past couple of weeks. But the Titans weren't that good of a team even before losing Derrick Henry and Julio Jones. Like on paper, they weren't actually that strong of a team coming into this year. They were good enough to win the AFC South, but that's because the AFC South is terrible. Here's something I'll throw out to you. Did the Falcons get a still in that Julio Jones trade not as big a steal as the Jets got for Sam Darnold but they got a pretty good steal imagine if they'd been able to get a first round pick for Julio Jones out of that so yeah I just wonder if Julio is ever going to be healthy for the remainder of his career at this point it just seems like he's always going to have a nagging hamstring going on which once you start hearing those soft tissue injuries I think that those are one of the tougher things for players to recover from hell I would rather tear my ACL than have a nagging hamstring almost I, I think uh, yeah I, well turning ACLs aren't fun with the rehab, but nagging hamstring will play you for a while. Usually we see guys like how Nick Bosa has 10 sacks coming off of ACL. You have that, those hamstring injuries that start to accumulate. They just seem like they never go away or the nagging groin or the quad injuries, those lower body pulls, they're gross. They can really take a player's career away from them. I think back to Miles Austin when he had a career with the Cowboys. Once he started getting those hamstring pulls, it was pretty much over and he was a stud at one point. Can we agree that stuffing is the best Thanksgiving day food? I like it. I mean, it's just sweet bread. Like that bread is actually goes with everything. You could just, you could have like a whole two plates full of stuffing. And you would be fine with it. You'd be yeah, very content at the end of the day. Mix and you, you can mix gravy on all of it. Like you can do gravy with stuffing. You can do gravy with mashed potatoes. Like it, it all works out wonderfully. I think I think I agree with you on that. I th- I think stuffing's probably a go-to for me as well. Then it's probably for that reason that we saved the best game for last year. We have the Packers and the Rams. This game just got a hell of a lot more interesting with the Packers losing that game to the Vikings because you talked about who's going to get that home field advantage. Who's going to get the easy road to the playoffs. And the fact that the Packers are now struggling to keep Lambeau and the fact that this game is a legitimate pick even according to Vegas, I think tells you that these teams are evenly matched. And there is a couple of things why, again, I go back to that immovable object versus unstoppable force so McVeigh after a bye week three and one he is 16 and seven after a loss and he's has lost three straight games only once in his career that was the 2019 season the one season in his tenure that the Rams actually missed the playoffs Matt LaFleur on the other hand has never lost back-to-back games in his time with the Packers Matt LaFleur you know obviously we'll figure out one day if it was all Rodgers or if it was a little bit of him but so far since he got into Green Bay that has been something that has been a huge positive that this team responds well after losses. This is going to be a big statement game for Matthew Stafford because when you look at the last two games he had prior to the bye week against Tennessee in primetime, against the Niners in primetime, two interceptions in both games that put him behind the eight ball pretty early on there. Can he respond going against a team he's very familiar with? Matthew Stafford versus the Packers. If you look at his head-to-head, and the last time I saw the stat, he, it was like 2020. I think he had a 7-7 seven and seven career record versus the Packers, which sounds shocking because we always think about the Lions just getting their ass kicked by the Packers. But it seems like Matthew Stafford kept him in a lot more games than we really gave him credit for. Can he do that with a new team going into this game against the Los Angeles Rams, going into 
a cold weather environment in Lambeau. And one, one thing that I think is going to be big for them, they need to establish the run early. A.J. Dillon only got 11 carries against the Vikings, and, and that put them in a spot in which they weren't able to use their offense to the fullest of capabilities. Talk about Aaron Rodgers having a great day. But Aaron Rodgers, I think, ideally is not throwing as much as he necessarily had to in that game to keep pace with the Vikings. I think if you set up some easy play actions, you make the game plan short and compact, kind of like that game manager stuff that we talked Aaron Rodgers has shifted to in recent years. That's a good pathway for victory for them. It worked for the Niners against the Rams. Can Matt LaFleur and the Packers basically take the Niners game plan except use it with Devontae Adams, A.J. Dillon, and Aaron Rodgers? Because if they could do that, I think the Packers are winning this game. Uh, This is a tough question, isn't it? Who's going to win this one? Because both teams feel like they're in a very even place right now. I think this is one where we we rely on the old coin flip game to decide because I believe the the Rams are one point favorites, I think, going into this game. According to ESPN right now, it's even. It's even. If you told me the Packers got a one point edge of being at home by the end of the week, I would believe it. It's dead even right now. All right, let's see what this has to say. Heads is going to be Rams. Tails is going to be Pack. Looks like Tails. I guess that means I have the Green Bay Packers this week. Wow, we are literally in agreement on all five games. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of us recording together. That's unfortunate for you. Yeah, I was going to say it does definitely does hurt me. But okay, well, we're going both going to the Packers. What do you have to say about them going into this game against the Rams? Similarly to what we talked about with the Vikings game, like the Packers played very well last week in executing the game plan. You're right that they didn't use AJ Dillon as much. And obviously they were still in the game because of that huge Marquez Valdez Scantling touchdown at the very end, which I just started laughing when I saw that. It was like, of course, Rogers, one play, 75 yards can erase all your work because that's just how Aaron Rodgers works sometimes. But Green Bay's defense played really poorly against the Minnesota Vikings, which in part is, I think that's in part like just a great job by Kirk Cousins because we know the Packers secondary is really, really good. They blanked the Seattle Seahawks the week before that. They held the Cardinals to like 17 points in that game. Like they, they've been really, really good. I'd say the best in football this year, the best secondary in the NFL in Green Bay. They're not great at stopping the run. They're better this year at stopping the run than they've been in the last two years, which is just God awful at stopping the run, but they're better this year. And the Rams are in an interesting place because the Los Angeles Rams are really trying to do the anti Sean McVay thing. I think we talked about this a little while ago, which is that because of personnel, the Rams have not held the ball as long this year. The Rams are actually one of four teams above 500 in the NFL that is not winning in time of possession this season. The Rams actually hold the ball less than their opponents this year. Again, only four teams above 500 are in the bottom 16 in time of possession this year. So they've kind of been the antithesis of what Sean McVay, we've come to like, like expect Sean McVay as, which is like zone running schemes, holding the ball, doing all that stuff. And I think that's just part because they have Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, and one, what was at the time, Robert Woods. And their running game this year is a lot of Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers and just hoping that their offensive line can stay healthy for the most part. And so they've kind of been the antithesis of themselves. And I think that's not going to play well into this matchup against the Green Bay Packers. Of course, we know that Sean McVay has also never lost when having the lead at halftime. So that changes the math around that as well as the Rams are very good at closing games. But if you were to pick any game in Sean McVay's career where you have a halftime lead 
and you end up losing, it would be against the person who in his entire 13 year career with the Green Bay Packers has only lost twice when having a halftime lead at Lambeau Field, which makes the stat even funnier is that the two times that happened was versus Carson Wentz and versus Josh Rosen are the only times that Aaron Rodgers has lost after having a halftime lead at Lambeau. Was that the last Mike McCarthy year? That was. That was actually the game that got Mike McCarthy fired, was after losing to Josh Rosen at home. McCarthy, you're gone. See, that's understandable. If there was any more understandable firing than losing to Josh Rosen. Hell, I think even a Belichick, let's just say the Falcons play the Patriots next year. Josh Rosen has to start somehow. Well, I guys, I guess it's time I retire. I just lost the game to Josh Rosen. Been a great 25 years. It's the same rule as losing to Kansas or in the case of Florida, losing to Missouri or in, also in the case of Florida, getting shit talked by Missouri is that when you're getting shit talked by Missouri and when you're losing to Kansas, someone's got to get fired. Doesn't matter who it is. Someone's getting fired. <laughs> See, I was actually shocked in 2018 when the Niners went 0-2 against Josh Rosen that that wasn't Kyle Shanahan's last year just in principle there. Those Grant, were the, the only time, wins they had. Those at the were... time, we did not know how bad Josh Rosen's career would go. One day, people will write novels about how bad Josh Rosen's career in the NFL went from going to there was nine mistakes in front of me to being out of the league and give it another year or so. Because and I'm also, surprised he even got with the Falcons. Also, reminder that the Cardinals traded up in that draft to get Josh Rosen, a pick that they traded that became Colton Miller, Pro Bowl tackle for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, and at a time where Lamar. Jackson was still on the board. <laughs> this is probably the most in-depth Josh Rosen takes that you'll hear on a podcast. So subscribe for more guys. If you want to know all about Josh Rosen, UCLA legend that got Jim Mora fired, that got himself <laughs> shipped out of Arizona right away. I will never forget the magical, the, the, the magical Motel 6 Cactus Bowl against Kansas State that Josh Rosen played in. And everyone's like, yeah, this guy's a first round pick. Definitely. We could shit talk yeah. UCLA football too. I'm happy to do that. Let's finish this game analysis real quick. And then we'll revisit <laughs> this here just on the swing out here. I will say both these teams, you mentioned Sean McVay's stat leading at halftime. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers' stat leading at halftime. You would say that there's a very front runner mentality to both these guys in the sense that they need to establish a lead. If you look at what costs the Packers against the Vikings, they had a very, very slow start. The Vikings got off to early lead, like I said, and neutralized A.J. Dillon because they weren't able to establish the run game. So if the Packers could just start off with a lead, that will instantly put them in a position to win this game. Hell, you talk about a coin toss? It might come down to a coin toss. Who gets the ball first? Who could get that lead? Who can establish momentum, control time and possession? If the Rams could be a little bit better with it after the bye week. I will talk about chemistry here too, before we end this, because obviously Odell Beckham, when he went out there against the San Francisco 49ers, it was his first game. Matthew Stafford misses him on a deep pass that turns into an interception by Jimmy Ward. You can't blame the second interception on Matthew Stafford. That was off Tyler Higby's hands but there was also another miscommunication between Odell and Matthew Stafford in that game did they correct that over a bye week because I would say that was one of the most well-timed bye weeks if you have a new guy coming into your locker room you just lost a key part of your offensive Robert Woods and you need to adjust I will be intrigued to see how much that 
connection got built over the bye, or if it got built at all during the bye, because I think that that Robert Woods injury may have been a bigger loss than we initially gave it credit for. Yeah, it changes the way that the Rams run their offense, because I'd said originally as the the spewing hot take was that uh, everyone like thought Odell Beckham would be used like Deshaun Jackson. I'm like, Odell Beckham's not going to be a deep threat receiver. Their deep threat receiver is Cooper Cup. And I know Cooper Cup is like the yards after catch guy, but he's just so good that at this point, he does everything that you ask of him like someone who would be a top 10 receiver should. So now without Robert Woods, it, it changes the way they run the offense. I don't know exactly how they plan to use Odell Beckham. They didn't use him at all against the 49ers, which was interesting in and of itself. The other thing I'm very interested in for this game, Jalen Ramsey got cooked by Devonte Adams in the playoffs last year. So, you know, that's going to be a fun matchup when they see each other again with that top two wide receiver versus the best corner in the NFL is always fun. Oh yeah. You talk about that stars and uh, what do you call it? Stars and scrubs mentality that the Rams are implementing. You need Jalen Ramsey to play like a star in this game. You need Aaron oh, Donald yeah. to play like a star in this game because the rest of that defense around them is truly playing like scrubs, or at least they did the last two weeks against both Tennessee and the San Francisco 49ers. So Jalen Ramsey needs to be shadow covering Devontae Adams. Let the other guys beat you. Let Alan Lazard beat you. Let MVS beat you. Let Randall Cobb beat you. But don't let Devontae Adams beat you. That's the Rams strategy to winning this game. We're both on the Packers. In fact, we're both on everything this week. So I guess... That, you know, that's just how you ride them sometimes. Sometimes, you know, it is a more cordial thing. It is the holiday season. So, you know, like we're the pilgrims and the Indians coming together here on these picks. Least, and I'm you know, sitting in the lead. So, yeah, I'm sitting in the lead so I can uh, take advantage of that as well. So. I will, uh, I will walk away quite happy with that result this week. Exactly. Unfortunately, I put you in a position where you could coast through the rest of this season, like Josh Rosen could coast through the rest of his life with the NFL money that he stole from three franchises, four franchises, five franchises. Technically right? four. Technically four. I think. I Let's see. Arizona, get- Miami, Tampa, San Francisco, Atlanta. Five. Did he ever get paid five by Tampa, teams. though? Did yes, Tampa you get paid really on the practice squad. Him. Fair. I guess that's true. I guess that could help him last a couple of years. I guess that that $1.1 million, I guess, could help him out. He got paid for Blaine Gabbert to back up Tom Brady. Hey, that that is Super Bowl champion Blaine Gabbert for you. <laughs> <laughs> My mistake. I, I guess I just thought back to Blaine Gabbert that was leading the Chip Cowie administration in San Francisco. That's the Blaine or was Gabbert it the Blaine Gabbert? Is it the Blaine Gabbert? And this is a true stat. Started his NFL career one in eighteen as a starter, as starting quarterback. <laughs> that one. I don't know if that's better or worse if you take out Sean McVay from Jared Goff's life and factor in that he's never won a game without Sean McVay. <laughs> that's true. That is technically still true. Or how about the fact that Tim Boyle had 77 passing yards last week and that was still more than Jared Goff had in regulation against the Steelers? Oh boy. This is where guys... You're going to enjoy the video of us breaking down our Thanksgiving Day picks. But the fact that Tim Boyle is an NFL quarterback. See, here's the thing. I'll say this, you know, every year when we have that conversation of, man, Cap couldn't get back in the NFL, but that guy exists. That guy is Tim Boyle. That guy yeah. is literally Tim Boyle because he's just been coasting on having a NFL arm when he got picked up by the Packers. But how do you have literally more interceptions than touchdowns and not even be playing for a power five school and make the NFL? That is wild to me that that happened. I, I've heard about little stories like that. I, I think the Niners had a guy that they always used to have on the practice squad. They got that love. But to see that guy start in a game, that's just so wild to me. I mean, I'm sure they're has to be someone out there. Hell, that's that's why, okay, Josh Rosen, 
top 10 pick UCLA power five school. Okay. Showed he had an NFL arm in college. I could understand that one. Tim Boyle is just hard to compartmentalize in my mind that that guy is in the NFL. Well, we're also just operating under the assumption that the Lions actually want to win this season and that they'd rather not have the number one pick. I don't think they want to go 0-16 just because that's a little embarrassing, but the Lions don't give a shit. (laughs) You think the Lions care about that at this point? Lions are like, whatever, we'll go out here, we'll get tranced a little bit, maybe we'll win one of these games and we'll get, you know, the kid from Oregon. Well, you know, it's truly bad when your coach has to ask himself, does Tim Boyle give me a better chance to win than Jared Goff, who was drafted as the number one overall pick. Jared Goff will end up being a backup somewhere for a few more years. He's got a nice little, uh, what's it called? He's He's got a uh, like a Brett Hundley career trajectory ahead of him at this point. The only thing with him, though, is I wonder, because it seems like he's legitimately burning bridges at the places he goes, where his coaches are legitimately tired of him. It's one thing to piss off Sean McVay. I could see a little bit of ego from Sean, but then to piss off Dan, I think when it comes to pissing off Dan, it's like from a two different standpoints, because you think of Dan Campbell as like this tough dude that this football mentality, this absolute ball player. And you think about Jared Goff, who might have a little bit of a laissez-faire attitude towards the game of football. I think that's where they may disagree. Whereas Sean McVay is just frustrated because he can't do what he wants him to do offensively. So I think that those are two coaches that he's burned bridges with in that respect. I wonder who's the next coach that would take on that project. I mean, Anthony Lynn's just like, just don't throw it away on fourth and three. And by the way, that's happened not once, twice this year. Jared Goff has thrown the ball away on fourth down and three. (laughs) I've once clowned Derek Carr in a video for doing that twice in his career, but he never did it twice in one season. Literally just throw it up to someone, even if it's picked, it's better result than who cares. Yeah. Who cares? Like, are you worried about field positioning? Like, Jerry, if you're worried about field positioning, throw a deep pick. That's basically the equivalent of a punt at that point. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Jared Goff is not good at football. You know how bad it has to be when Anthony Lynn's not going to put up with your nonsense. Like Anthony Lynn has been through a long line of shitty quarterbacks. Like he was the coach when Peterman was taken over for the, the bills. Like Anthony Lynn is he's, if he's not putting up with your shit, it's over for Jared Goff. He's going to go back up somewhere and not be heard from for a while. I am so intrigued to see this quarterback free agency market coming up here because there's not a good rookie quarterback prospect really i mean there's you know we hear about carson strong we hear about the liberty kid picket picket but none of those guys i i've heard like mel kuyper talk about none of those guys sound like they're worth a top 15 selection so you talk about guys like rogers being out there russ being out there Derek carr if the raiders continue to implode i know he says he would love to be a raider for life but still you have to think that he's going to be available maybe you want to go bargain bin hunting with a daniel jones trade this offseason after his value been killed <laughs> forgot about trying to do like a sam darnold <laughs> rebuild there with his skill set no sam darnold sam darnold's worse than jared goff oh sam I'm darnold's sure. worse than goff at this point those dudes got to be back go get well, is daniel jones worse than goff i mean at least he would say with daniel jones more mobile i would probably daniel take the jones, fact that daniel jones is more mobile and could do a little bit of stuff with his legs and i would take with jared goff who just sits in the pocket and gets killed daniel jones is just like drew lock with better teammates like that's kind of just or i'm 
I'm sorry, Drew Locke with shittier teammates. That's the other way around. Daniel Jones has just been set up to fail so much, but he wasn't that good in the first place that Daniel Jones could win you a couple games here and there. Daniel Jones be good with like, I know what happened. I think the Saints obviously should be involved in bigger names here, but like going to like a Sean Payton. He'd be better. It wouldn't make the team good, but it'd be better. I think like just you, you talk about coaches that could use a guy in the right respect. I mean, that would be something we're talking about. I mean, we'll see what Mitch Trubisky does do. I mean, he's on a one-year deal to go with the Bills and earn kind of like <laughs> a little bit of value back. I'm sure there's going to be one of those teams that tries to use him as a bridge type quarterback. Someone's going to be about tricked Matt Ryan. into giving Trubisky $20 million. Someone's going to yeah. get fooled by that. Someone's going to do a Mike Glennon type thing with him, bring in a young guy, fourth round pick, and then they're going to take the job from him. And that's just going to be one of those franchises thing. There's a lot of moving parts that have in this NFL offseason. I'm actually really excited to see what happens there. Hell, I even talked about my Niners. I mean, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, like he's going to have some value to teams if he continues to play like he is. I didn't throw it into the game preview here, but I'm going to give my boy a shout out here. First 49ers QB since Joe Montana to have over 70% completion percentage and a touchdown in four straight games. So, hey, Jimmy's on the rise. He's also been a top 15 quarterback this year, which is interesting, but it's also the same Jimmy Garoppolo I've been watching for four years now. Well, you know, you look at like a situation like Pittsburgh or the Giants, or hell, Cleveland. And it's like those franchises may ask themselves, would they consider it if they just want a guy who, I don't know. Jimmy Garoppolo feels like an Elway guy. It's going to be an Elway guy coming up here. I don't think he's tall enough. I don't think he's big enough. I don't know. It's, it's wide enough. No, he's got, he's got a little bit of tan. Give my boy some credit. He's got that Italian kind of tan going on, that like olive oil skin. He's from Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> like, well, I'm sure he got a little bit paler from living in Chicago, but by hook or by crook, the guy's the guy's living his best life. Again, yeah, this is assuming line. assuming they can't get Aaron Rodgers, of course. But if, if not Aaron Rodgers, how about Jimmy Garoppolo? Give him $48 million. Here ranking it, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson are top priorities as far as potential deals, assuming, of course, you know, Deshaun Watson is a whole other situation there. Then you go into that next tier down, Jimmy Garoppolo. The rotting uh, corpse of Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, yeah. <laughs> rotting corpse of Matt Ryan. Maybe a project like a Tua because he might be available if Miami gets their way. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurt. Well, no. See, now Eagles are in a position where do we have something here? Nope, I, I know you it's, don't. You don't. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's, he's been good the last two weeks. You don't. No, you don't have something there. We'll see as he plays better teams. I don't know what the Eagles remaining schedule is, but you know, like if we could see him against a better team, because at least the last few weeks, they've really had a strong identity for the Eagles. Just to put it out there, Jalen Hurts is just like slightly better Daniel Jones at this point. And he's got slightly better teammates. I mean, I'd rather have Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, and those guys at this moment than Kadarius Tony and Can Kenny we laugh Galladay, at that, by the hurt. way? I know this is the end of the podcast. Can we laugh at the fact that Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony have combined zero touchdowns this year? That's $72 million wide receiver and first round pick you traded down so the Bears could get Justin Fields. Zero touchdowns this year. See, I see the talent in Kadarius Tony. We know Kenny Galladay has been good in the past, so I understand them being on the team. That's probably the bigger indictment on Daniel Jones. And hell, that's probably the reason you sign those guys to see what you have in Daniel Jones. And um, it has not looked great in New York, to say the least. Are you still playing uh, New York, New York on the podcast or did that die with Sam Darnold? No one's won this week. We're waiting. No one, no one's winning in New York at this point. We need them to start winning games to start playing New York, New York, but good God, it's bad. By the way, do you know how many rushing yards Saquon Barkley has had in the last two seasons? Last two seasons? Yep. Well, when, when did he get hurt last year? What was it like? It was very early on. It was like week two or three, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I think he had, he's had a couple games in which he was close to hundred yards this year. I'm going to say around like 600. He has 270 yards rushing in the last two seasons. And, but I think Jason Garrett got fired today. If I remember correctly at, at the time we're recording this, I think Jason Garrett got fired today, which is, he did. come on. <laughs> I'm like, I see. I'm like, come on. You're going to pretend like it's his fault. Not like Joe judge and Dave Gettle fumigate the place. This makes me think that the Maras are actually considering keeping these people around. I'm like, just fumigate the entire organization. It's just, it's so bad. Here's this one for you. Five straight years the Giants have had a three and seven record or worse yeah uh would you like to know who have the uh, worst records in the NFL over the last decade it's the Jets and the Giants worst records in the NFL next year is going to be a decade since the Giants Super Bowl and it's just been absolute crap ever since just hot steaming crap ever since they won the Super Bowl but in the tiers of NFL organizations even as bad as this last decade was been you probably ranked them above the Jets just for the Super Bowl wins it all depends how far back you go because the Giants had like 15 really good years and it's a whole lot of really, really bad in between. If you take those 15 years of success and mix it with 70 years, it's been a mixed bag, certainly for the Giants. But this is really bad. Like the Giants, welcome to another decade of mediocrity if you're the Giants. Like if you think you're going to keep Joe Judge around and you're going to keep Gettleman around, oof, no. you got bigger problems on your hands. See, the Giants, I think they're key. They have to hire someone with some pelts on the wall. They have to hire someone <laughs> that has a little bit of experience in winning history they can't take another <laughs> chance on a new guy with someone with no name like joe judge just came so out of nowhere I, I heard there were stories about bill holding josh mcdaniels back from interviewing for the job that allowed joe judge the time to get that position mm-hmm. and yep. you hear about stories like that you wonder okay so is josh mcdaniels not going to take that job if offered which josh mcdaniels i would still even question if he's that guy if he has enough cachet to be that the guy that takes the job the one i would say i would love it's not going to happen, if, especially if they clear house this year. Jim Harbaugh. If you put Jim <laughs> Harbaugh on the Giants, I think that oh, he God. would be the perfect coach to be able to handle that New York media energy. Oh, please let that happen. Please, please let that happen. I want that so bad now. Please. just See, I was going to throw out a funnier name. If you're saying you're looking for someone with pelts on the wall and some charisma, just go get Eli Drinkwitz over there in Missouri. <laughs> go get Eli Drinkwitz to go coach your team. Some that literal pelts on the wall there, huh? Yeah, that man, he's 38 years old. He looks like a uh, he looks like a youth pastor. See, um, you could go with like a Doug Peterson or something too. I mean, I guess oh, he's that won would be in that perfect division. Too. He's won oh, in that gosh. division, won a Super Bowl. So at least he's got that to his name. I mean, how good is he really? You know, he had a great staff the year they won the Super Bowl. He had a great team that they put together the year they won the Super Bowl. But I, I think that they just have to hire someone that has proven something in the NFL. They can't just if you're gonna be, take another If chance. you're going to be terrible at football, at least do a coach that we can make content out of. Like Man Campbell. Like if you're going to be terrible, at least do a coach we can love or make fun of or something in between. Like Joe Judge is just annoying. Like let's do, let's have someone that's actually kind of fun that we can make fun of. Oh, for sure. All right. All right. All right. Well, that'll do it for our Thanksgiving Day episode. At least I plan on dropping this on Thanksgiving. Hopefully you're enjoying the games. Hopefully you're enjoying the meals. Hopefully you're enjoying your family time. Obviously, you know, we hear about stuff like what happened in Wisconsin. You know, it it just makes you think, hold your family a little closer, you know, because life is something so precious, you know, that we lose track of it. I'm myself. I know I'm not going home for the holidays. Kyle, I know you get a chance to spend time with the family. You know, something as you get older, you start to appreciate a little bit more. So ending this on a positive note, thank you all. We appreciate you giving us the most valuable thing you can give anyone 
your time. That is above all else what I give everyone thanks for for tuning into this podcast. Thankful for Kyle being with me. Juju Talk Sports, Kyle Ledbetter. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. And we'll see you on the next one.